Well, I'm just so happy about this morning and getting a chance to get this off of my heart and you guys do with it what you want to. Second Samuel 9.13 And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. Lord, I thank you for this conference and Lord, you have a very, very important word this morning. It is an individual word and it is also a corporate word. And Lord, I just pray that I will be hidden by the cross so that you, nobody wants to follow a man. People are suspicious if man try to lead them anywhere. But Lord, when we feel like you are leading, like you are speaking, I want to be part of that. So hide me and help us to see you. Please, God, in Jesus' name, amen. So that the title of the message is Healing Under the Table. The story of Mephibosheth is this tremendous foreshadowing of redemption. Mephibosheth is, is bidden to come before King David and he fears for his life as well he should. He is a descendant of Saul and Saul is the former king and it was the custom in that day to kill all of the descendants of the other guy. And it was a way of cleansing and starting over and taking away division in the realm. And, and so he's got this this ancestor that is working against him. And then he has been dropped by his nurse when he was five years old and he became crippled in both feet. And so he's, he's, he, he's, he's, he's a very broken person in every way. And it's just a very bad day when, when he is being called before the king. He has no idea why. Well, it turns out that what is in David's heart is very, very, very different than killing this descendant. David's heart is filled with kindness and goodness, and he wants to do something for Jonathan's uh, son, who is uh, Jonathan is Saul's son. Anyway, and so here's what he says. He says, Mephibosheth, don't, don't be afraid. That's, that's not why you're here. Here's, what's, here's why you're here. I'm gonna give you all of the property of your grandfather Saul. This is a king's property. This is, I'm going to, in one minute, I just made you a multimillionaire. You just went from being a pauper to a multimillionaire just by one, one moment. But I want to do more than that. I'm going to give you a place at my table. I want you to sit at my table as one of my sons. I'm putting you in the family. And uh, it's just such a, Powerful, powerful picture of, it's interesting, Mephibosheth is, is two Hebrew words put together. One, is, one means to blow away and the other means shame. His shame was blown away by an inheritance and by, and by a place of intimacy at the king's table. And I've just loved this foreshadowing of redemption. I've loved this picture 
of what Jesus has done for us when we, being broken as human beings, we have, a, we have an ancestor that sinned named Adam, and because of that, we all got on the death list, and, and all of us, if we got what we deserved, we would get death, and we've, we've, we've all been broken, and we've, got, we've been dropped. We've been dropped by ancestors. Four generations of sin that gets passed along, and you end up getting everything that was broken, and no one comes into this world uh, pure and unscathed. We all come in broken, and we come in with broken DNA, and we come in, and we're, we're, we're broken in this world. And then on top of that, we've got people in this life that, that actually dropped us, our, our 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 parents weren't perfect parents. Our teachers weren't perfect teachers. Our pastors weren't perfect pastors. And we've all got all of this brokenness in our life. We're kind of a a, a mess. And then this beautiful, beautiful picture of what Jesus does for us in redemption. He says, I'm going to, in just an act, I am going to, save you and I'm going to make you a joint heir. I'm going to give you my inheritance. Every believer, right when they accept Christ, becomes a multi-billionaire. You can't even imagine. The Bible says in Ephesians 3, we will unpack our inheritance in the ages to come. We can't grasp what's ours in Christ. We can't grasp what he's done. It is insane what he's done, but he's also given us not just inheritance, but intimacy. Jesus has a table just like David did. He says to his own church, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will sup with him. It's it's his table. It's not, not you will sup, we will sup together. It is intimacy. It is, I, I, I receive your love and, and, and you will receive my love around the dinner table. It is, it is a table of intimacy. And I always just loved the picture of whenever Mephibosheth came up to the table that his crippledness was hidden. That, that his identity was in his intimacy with the king and his crippledness was... And I, I loved that picture of, uh, 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 of, of, of salvation. Well, it turns out, if that was all what salvation did for us, uh, that would be stunning, wouldn't it? Be way more than we deserve. And it, it, it would just be Amazing. But salvation actually does something more for us. And I didn't, I never even thought about it until a couple of years ago. We had Leslie Cahill, Tom's, Tom's daughter, speak here, and she spoke on Mephibosheth. And she said, the, re, the, the reality is greater than that which foreshadowed it. Because every time Mephibosheth came up to David's table, every time he left, he was still crippled. But he said, she said the difference between David's table and Jesus' table is there's healing under the table. That in the place of intimacy, God actually starts healing the things that are broken inside of us. 
It says in Isaiah 61 that Jesus, Christ means anointed one, that the Christ was going to come and he was going to bind up the brokenhearted. It says in Malachi 4 that the sun is going to rise and there is healing in his Wings. Wings was the picture of the place of intimacy. It was the picture of the mother hen gathering chicks inside of its wings. It is the place of intimacy and there's healing. God placed within the wings of his Savior healing. There's healing for our brokenness. Healing, if you will, under the table. Point one today is the need for healing under the table. When, we, when I was in Montevideo, we would go to La Ceiba, Honduras every year and we would do ministry through one, one family that we were connected with there was kind of connected to the whole body of Christ. And every year we would put a roof on a church or build a feeding center. We would do some, something, but... Um, the guy that took us there told us a story of when he first started going there because he went there several years by himself and he said, one year I came and, uh, and they had the, the craziest system going for their drinking water. Their drinking water would just drip out of the faucet. And so what they had to do is they had to have a bucket under it day and night because that was how they got water. And they, they had to collect that water 24-7 and that was for dishes, that was for showers. Otherwise, they could, they could go and walk and get it from somewhere else. But the, inside the house, they had to have something 24-7. And he said, the funny thing was... Um, Anybody with any plumbing skills at all could go into the inner works. And so I went in there, and there was a stone in there. Took the stone out, faucet worked fine. But it's human nature, isn't it? If something is wrong... And we're not sure what it is, and we don't know how to fix it because it's inside somewhere. We just adapt ourselves to that situation. We learn how to live around what's happening. We, we, the, the, the problem is beyond us, and therefore, we just we adjust our lives to it. Now, folks... To a great degree, this is what's happened in America with the gospel. Jesus said rivers of living water are going to flow out of our innermost being. And, but we've experienced something less than that. We've experienced these, just these little drips. Just these, just these little drips. And we don't know what's wrong that it's not... It does, Jesus did say that, and everybody that's a Christian will acknowledge Jesus really did say that. The fact that my experience is different than that, um, I don't have an explanation, but this is the experience I have, and so I'm just going to kind of make my life around this because I don't know what's wrong. I don't know why I only get drips when Jesus said rivers. And so we just, we adjust 
to our experience for the sake of survival because we really don't know what, how to fix what's wrong on the inside. James 5.16a Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. When we think of confessing sins, don't we think of forgiveness? Did you notice that forgiveness is not, not here? This isn't about forgiveness. You don't have to go to people to get your sins forgiven. You go to God to get your sins forgiven. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you might be healed. I'll tell you right now, this is not physical healing. Physical healing is the two verses before that. If anybody's sick, let them call the elders of the church. They'll anoint him with oil. They'll pray the prayer of faith. And the one who is sick will be raised up by God, will be healed by God. This, this healing here is not physical healing. What is this? This is, God says, if you will confess your sins and pray for one another, if you, if you will make yourself vulnerable, you confess your sins, I will, I will release my anointing in such a way that heals that thing in you that keeps you coming back to get forgiveness for your sins. That I've got something more for you than just this cycle where you sin and then you come and ask forgiveness. I forgive you and you go sin. And I actually have something more than just a a kind of a failure-based, sin-based Christianity where you just kind of live the same life that everybody else does, but you're forgiven because you came and asked God for forgiveness. That I have more for you than that. I want to heal the things underneath sin. That, that are causing you to keep sinning and keep doing the same thing over and over. I want to heal that which is broken, that which you don't know, the plumbing you don't know how to get to. I know how to get to it. I want to fix the plumbing deep inside of you. I want to heal you so that you're not stuck in this cycle. So uh, I have this young man he goes to a different youth group. His parents are friends of mine. They called me. They said, would you, would you meet with him? He, he confessed some sin to, sins to his youth pastor. And we were stunned. We were shocked. He's a compulsive liar. And we, we, just, he, we just want to see if he's even come completely clean. And we, we, we trust you. And so he, he came in and we met and... Um, <laughs> it, it turned out he, he hadn't come clean yet completely and he gave me the rest of the stuff and, and I'm like, dude, this whole thing starts with honesty. You need to go home and tell your parents and um, there's no sin God can't forgive if you'll be honest about it and, and you will confess it. And, and so he goes home and he... he, he Actually, I, don't, I didn't know what had happened except that they called a month later. Would you get together with him again? I'm like, absolutely. And, and so he comes in again, and, and, uh, and he looks so much better this time. And, and uh, I said, did you tell him? He said, I told him everything. He said, he said I'm, I'm here for a completely different reason. I'm going off to college, and I just, 
I need to, I need to make a new beginning. I need, to, I need to make a break from all of the drugs and sex and all the lies and all of that stuff. And, and I said, dude, I said, do you, do you really feel like God has forgiven? He said, absolutely, God has forgiven me. I said, well then, it's just a matter of getting healed of the things that are underneath sin. And I said, I said, tell me which of these two um, is, is why you lie, why you got into the pattern of lying, why you got in the pattern of doing the things you did. I said, it, it was, is it fear that's led to all this or is it anger that has led to this? And he thinks about it and he says, Pastor Tom, it's both. <laughs> it is both. He said sometimes it's fear and sometimes it's anger. And I read to him James 5.16 and I said, bro, without God healing these dual things of fear and anger, you're going you're gonna to end up doing the exact same things and having to go through the same confession and... Um, we had a nice time of prayer, and of course, the jury is still out, as it is in all of us. So, last year's word at this conference, um, I had shared how the word of the Lord had come to me again and again and again early last year, saying, It's time to go into the land. The city church. Uh, marched to the edge of the land. God had given us many promises about it and, and that it was time to move. It was time to go in. That we've never been this way before. We're going to have to obey God. We're going to have to take steps and go forward. And uh, I've talked a lot about that um, and, and some of the steps that we have taken and that's, uh, that's neither here nor there. But here's what I found out. It doesn't matter how sincere your yes is. It doesn't matter that you intend to obey. Fear will always keep you from fully obeying if it's undealt with. And anger will cause you to do a whole bunch of stuff God never told you to do. I want to look at, at, at each of these. First, Numbers 13, 32, and 33. The reason why they didn't go into the land, because they were intimidated by the giants. And fear got in. And they gave, end up giving a bad report. And the only reason it was bad was not because it wasn't true in a worldly size. It just didn't take into account what God had said. It, 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 there's nothing wrong with stating what the reality is. Yeah, there's giants in the land. There's nothing evil about saying that. But you've you got to say, but a big, big, big God has called us into it. And our eyes are on him, not on these giants. But they had focused on the giants and fear had grabbed a hold of their heart. And, and so they didn't go in and the Israelites wandered 40, 40 years in the wilderness. But what really strikes me is Joshua 1, 6, 
seven, nine. Now they're 40 years have gone past. It's, they're, they're at the edge of the land again, and God speaks to Joshua. And here's what he says. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left that you may be successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you call, wherever you go. Does it seem to a little redundant to anybody besides me that God would say the same thing three times in three verses? Doesn't that seem redundant? Doesn't that seem like Almighty God is speaking? Won't once be enough? And, and if you're going to say it twice, spread it out a little. Are you kidding me? And then to say the same thing three times to the same guy, it's like, What's going on in this passage? And then it struck me. They're not going in if he's not courageous. They're really not. This is real. They really won't go in. It's not a done deal that they're going to go in. The last group missed it. This group's going in. No, that's not true. Just because God loves Joshua, just because God's called Joshua, just because Joshua's God's man, does not mean that, they're gonna, that he's going to go into the fullness of his destiny. Fear will keep him out. Intimidation will fear him out. He's going to have to wage a war against fear and intimidation. He's going to have to overcome what he's afraid of. He is going to have to stand. He's going to have to remind himself of who God is because you're, you're not going in without this. It's going to take courage. Anger causes us to do things that are reckless and beyond what God has called us to do. Numbers 20, 11 and 12. Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with a staff so that a great amount of water gushed out and the congregation and their livestock were able to drink. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me to show my holiness in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this assembly into the land I have given them. Moses tells us later why he struck it. He was mad. He's mad at the people. He's frustrated. He was angry. And I think anybody that's read the whole story is like, really, God? One act of striking the rock, and now he's not going in? Thank God we don't live in the Old Testament. That one, one act could keep you from the fullness of your destiny. But let me, let me assure you this. An identity in anger... An identity where you allow anger to, to continue to be an engine in your life. Make no mistake about it, folks. Anger is an engine. It causes you to do stuff. And it is not God's engine. God's engine is the fear of the Lord. God, God's engine is what is going to please God. And if you live by this other engine called anger, no matter how much God talk you have, no matter how much Christianity is around you, you will do stuff that God never called you to do. And and you will not go into the fullness of what God has for you. 
fear and anger. Point two, intimacy and fear. Facing our fears with Jesus. So it's 2012. And I have, uh, I have received in the mail a letter from a lawyer that said that uh, they were going to sue us. Sue our, our church. They were going to sue us. They were going to sue the school. They were going to go after us if we didn't. And he, had, he said that the lawsuit's going to be filed in 10 days. And here is all the things you have to do to prevent this lawsuit from being filed. I was, I was terrified. We had come through... When, when the churches came together in 2010, it was right on the brink financially. I didn't, I, I, I've got a finance background. I didn't know if we would make it. I, I, I actually honestly told people, if we don't make it, and, and all three buildings were in the same debt, and if we don't make it, because we couldn't borrow another penny. The line of credit was absolutely maxed out. Our elder, the Man City elders knew it coming in. There were no surprises. We knew right from the very beginning, it was going to be a question mark if we would lose everything. And I, my thing was, hey, I, we've met in schools before. Church, the church is not this building. The church is, is the community of people. And if God, if, if we lose everything, the, the church isn't gone because a building is gone. But it was, it was right on the, 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 the bubble. And, and so we get to... 2011, and, uh, and we made it through the summer, and then we had this missions conference, and, um, I, and I had written to all of the missionaries saying, listen, whatever comes in is all we're going to be able to do. Every, everyone, I wrote it months in advance. I said, you guys all need to pray for this because there's not a, sh- there's not a shred extra. Whatever comes in is what you're going to get. You all need to prepare yourself for a cut. But be praying because God can do anything. And so, so we, we prayed. Our people knew it. We made the pledges and the gifts. And it was exactly what we needed for our missionaries. I was so excited. This is, this is the fall of 2000. Uh, 12, and I was so excited, and two days later, I get called by the principal, and actually the business finance guy at the school, and he says, we, we, if everything goes as it's going right now, we will lose, this year, we will lose $346,000. I'm like, I, I was stunned. I'm just like, uh, uh, and so I do all this research on schools, and since 2008, when the big recession hit, 40% of Christian schools have closed. The most unprofitable is 9th through 12th, so the first solution would be to get rid of your high school and just do what's profitable and cut this thing down and all these different ways. And, but we've got so much invested in that school, and we've got some of the greatest high school teachers. And so I got together with my friend Nick Gibson over at High Point, and and, they, and, he, and he had a very different story. Their school was doing amazing. Their school, their school had a waiting list. And I'm like, let's put the schools together. You guys have an anointing to do schools. And, and he said, okay. He said, but we're going to have to interview. And, and we have to have the right to hire and fire every, 
everybody. And it's not really firing because it's one-year contracts. I'm like, we, we hand it all off to you. Our elders handed it all off to High Point. And, and so they came in and they did that. And this, they let go of a lot of teachers. And it was really, really hard and really painful. And, and I encouraged people to make an appeal. And, you know, people I loved, people that went to church here. And, um, but this one teacher got a lawyer and that's where this letter was coming from and and we were just I, I, I just was just gripped with fear and so uh, the next morning as God would have it it's the story of David and Goliath and and I'm just I'm just like hey this is Goliath this is the intimidation spirit this is, this is fear speaking. And I'm just, I feel like God is speaking to me. This is all going to come to nothing. And, and so I try to do things in my own strength and try to get things. And, um, and, uh, and the, the, but the 10 days aren't up yet and we're going on vacation. And so we go, we go on vacation out east and, and the whole vacation, I am just calling this Goliath down in Jesus' name. This, this lawsuit is not even going to be filed. I break its power. I da-da-da-da-da. I bless and curse and bind and everything. I confess. I'm proclaiming. I'm declaring. I'm weeping. I'm everything I can think of to get that thing to, to just go away because I, we just, I just can't see how we can make it. Anyway, so I get back after this. 10 days, and there's a letter waiting for me from the lawyer, and it's that lawsuit. Lawsuit got filed. They're coming after us. And my heart just shrunk up in fear. And I got before God, and I, I just started crying out to God. God, I thought that Da, 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 you, oh, I thought this was Goliath. And didn't you hear all of my confessions and my rebukes? And, and I'm expecting, I don't know what I'm expecting. Certainly something gentle from God. Maybe even an apology. Has anybody noticed that God has trouble apologizing? Has anybody besides me noticed that's an issue with him? It's the problem with being perfect. Here's what I wasn't expecting. This is why I knew it was the word of the Lord. So here's the word. Here is the line that comes into my mind. Stand by your faith or you will not stand at all. Well, I'm certainly not putting that on my refrigerator. So I'm like, I, I, but I know that's a verse. I know that is a verse in the Bible. And I'm going to find that verse. I'm going to find out the context. So here it is. It's in Isaiah 9, 7. It's Ahaz. Ahaz is getting attacked by the, the northern kingdom. And he, when the attack comes on and the armies are facing him, he starts shaking like a leaf on the trees. That's what, how it's described. And I'm like, well, that's a good description. <laughs> and the prophet comes with this word. You will either stand by your faith 
or you will not stand at all. It's all in the balance right now. So here's what God was saying to me. Okay, Mr. Pastor. You preach faith. You preach believing God. It's game time. How many know that a believer's job is to believe? And sometimes it's very inconvenient for us when we actually have to believe that we don't get some guarantee, we don't get somebody to bail us out. We actually have to believe God. You're either going to believe God or you're going bankrupt. It's time to believe. And, and a lot of times you feel like a victim to fear, don't you? You just feel like, I, you know, I have to give in to fear because fear is here. And I just realize I'm not a victim. I actually can choose to believe God. And I chose to believe God. We did get a lawyer. But we didn't just get a lawyer. I believed God. And let me tell you something. The most amazing thing happened to me. That lawsuit lasted for three months. I, ne- I, I just never worried about it again. It was just supernatural. The day came that I got an email that said that they, they had dropped the lawsuit. They realized they couldn't win, so they dropped the lawsuit. The miracle of that was it wasn't that big. It was a, it was a relief. I'm not going to say it wasn't a relief, but it wasn't that big of a relief. I had already lived facing that fear with Jesus. Now, here's what I want to ask you about your own circumstances right now. If there's something in your life right now that's causing you to be afraid. Have you considered the possibility that it's not even about the thing you're facing? It's about that God wants to remove fear from your life, so he's asking you to face this thing with him. Do you know that, you know, that's how many years ago? That's, that's seven years ago now. The trial came and went, but what I learned from it is still alive, and it's going to be with me the rest of my days. It's going to be with me. When, the, when you, you, gain, you gain a history in God, when you and Jesus face things together, you study Job and at the trial went away, but here's what else went away. Job's fear. Job was a great guy, but he had this fear and God made him face the thing that he feared the most. He had to look it in the eye with God. He experienced it and he came through it. And Job got to live the rest of his life fearless. Intimacy and fear. God's going to help you to face fears with him. And then, secondly, he's going to teach us how to live loved instead of afraid. In 2016, I had another experience. I'm not going to give you the whole thing, but uh, in the experience, a sentence came to me. We were waiting on God for words, and the sentence was, live loved and not afraid. Pastor loved and not afraid. Parent loved and not afraid. And I was shocked by the, the sentence, and, and I started unpacking it. I'm like, oh, 
First, this isn't about theology. It's about identity. It's not about an event of fear. It's about an identity based in fear. And I'm, I'm like, well, surely, I, don't th- I never thought of myself as a fearful person. Surely my identity is not fear. And then he showed me how I was pastoring. And I was, I, was on, I was on stage every week. I felt like I had to be good enough to get people to come to this church. And if I wasn't good enough, people were going to leave that church. And the whole thing was there was so much fear at the bottom. And God says, I want an identity where you're loved. Where you, you love. You know you are loved. And then I want you to love because you are Loved. And then this verse came absolutely alive to me, 1 John 4, 18. Perfect love casts out all fear. And I don't know why. It seems obvious now, but all of those years, I thought that it meant if I could love perfectly, then I wouldn't be afraid anymore too. That's not what that verse means. Just read the next verse and you'll know that that's not what it means. This is love, not that we love God, but that he first loved us. This is perfect love isn't my love for God. It's his love for me. And that if I let him love me in my identity, fear will leave. And my whole quiet time, I've shared this a hundred times with our church. My whole quiet time changed. I I never start out with, I love you, Jesus. I start out with, Jesus, you love me. I'm your beloved. I'm your beloved. And that's, guys, it's always true. He never loves you less. It's always true. I am your favorite son. That's the foundation of this thing. Not my love for him, not what I'm going to do for him. His love for me never changes. Wow. He wants us to face our fears and get a history of when we're afraid to not let it destroy us, but it's our time to rise up and believe, to face our enemies, to not hide, to face our identities. But then he wants more than just a history of facing down fears. He wants a whole identity free of fear. He wants a whole identity that is, that is filled with his love, where the primary engine is love instead of fear. That's point two. Here's point three. Intimacy and anger. First, um, owning your anger. So I had a very surprising experience in 2011. Um, I have a a lady in the church wants to get together with me. She's very, very excited. And this is, this is a type A woman. I mean, she runs a business. She is aggressive and strong, and, and she wants to meet me. She's got something, and I'm great. Let's do it. And so she comes into my office, and she says, uh, she says, I want to tell you about an experience I had. She says, uh, I was at a leadership conference, not Christian leadership, just a leadership leadership conference. And the, and the speaker said, he asked this question, do you know why 
Barack Obama was elected president. And then he gave the answer. Because he wasn't an angry black man. Two thousand eight, during that election, this country was afraid. We were we were in a recession. No one knew how deep it was going to go. It was a very troubling time. And when people are afraid, they want to vote for somebody that they can trust. And Barack Obama was not angry. He 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 didn't speak language of angry. He didn't speak partisanship. He 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 people don't when they're afraid they don't trust angry people. Now, we're in prosperity now. There's a, I'm making no comments on our current political climate, okay? So we're just, we're just right back there right now. But if he was angry, he would not have been elected president. I absolutely believe that. People, they, because they don't trust angry people. And she said, I, she said, Pastor Tom, I don't know how it happened, but when he said that he wasn't an angry black man, she said, I knew immediately I was an angry woman. I knew it immediately, and I knew that I had put a ceiling on my own life because of my anger. And so she shares this story, and she leaves the office, and I never tell her this. (laughs) God bless her. But the minute she said that she was an angry woman, I knew I was an angry pastor. I am in ministry. I'm pastoring this large church. And I realize I'm angry. I'm angry at leaders. I'm angry at academia for teaching evolution like it's fact and dogmatically pushing it down. I'm angry at politicians for for the national debt that they're not paying any attention to and they're they're I'm angry and I'm angry at pastors. I'm ang- I feel like the problem, the reason why the church is so backslidden in America is because it's pastors' fault. And I've got this anger. And Alice had told me several times, you, you don't really like pastors. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I'm just, I'm angry. But something else happened. I realize whoever people will vote for or not vote for, whoever people will trust or not trust, God does not trust angry people. Just because God loves you, just because you're his favorite son or daughter, does not mean he trusts you. And I knew there was a ceiling on my ministry because of my anger. And that day I told God, I don't want to be angry anymore. I don't want to be angry anymore. And then something happened. Something that had been confusing to me for two years. Two years earlier, I'd been at the UW. I was speaking on evolution. And... uh, I was speaking, Chi Alpha and InterVarsity had put this event together. I was the speaker. The, the girl from InterVarsity was so excited about this. 
uh, the week before, she said, would you guys pay for a, a blast email to the entire campus? This is so good. This is going to be so amazing. And so, so we paid for it. 42,000 students are invited to come to hear my talk on evolution. Um, so the day, the day of comes. And uh, that morning, I'm playing basketball over at the gym over there. And I get an elbow in my vocal cords. And I can't, I couldn't speak. Alice remembers this. I literally could not speak. There's no way to cancel this event. It's that night. There's nobody else that can speak it. I've, I've got all the notes. I've prepared all this thing. I've met with the professors. I, it's me or nobody. And I literally cannot talk. And I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to talk again. I mean, it would, when you're in the midst of it, it's bad. It's just really bad. And something got hit. And, and so I'm, I'm doing tea with honey all day long. And I couldn't. I leave for the event. I still can't speak. I mean, it's just a whisper. All I can do is whisper. The event itself, once I get to the event, once I get on stage, I open my mouth, I can speak. I can, I, I can speak. I mean, not great, but I'm, I'm out loud at least. But the event overall was a disaster. It was like I, I, this guy from Blackhawk that was having a ministry to professors, he was angry. The people were like, yeah, the place was jammed. Every science student, every biology evolutionist was there. People were yelling at me during my message. Uh, I, I have this time for questions and comments. Not one person asked a question. It was all just speeches of accusation. And um, it was, I mean, I just, the, the whole night was so confusing to me. And I, I, knew, I knew I had overreached. I knew I had somehow done something more than what God, but I didn't know why. I didn't know why. God, I, I've, been, I've been with you every day. Couldn't you tell me not to do this? Well, no, no. But once I saw this thing underneath called anger that was unresolved, that I had just allowed to, to, to live with me. Folks, anger is an engine it will cause you to do things like hitting the stone a second time. It will cause you to do stuff just because you want to do them. And, you, and Christians are horrible because we do what we want to do and then we say God told us to. And, and this, is, this is just in me and I have to do this. Listen, if you have to do something, you need to question it. And so what happened? I told God, I don't want that anymore. I don't want that anger anymore. When I saw that what was at stake was that I would limit God's destiny for me, that I I would put a ceiling on how much God could use me, I want that more than anything else. I, I understand you can only do as much as God calls you to do. You can't do more than what God wants you to do, but I don't want to do less than what God wants me to do. Let me tell you what's, what happened since then. I'm going to tell you two things about life without a ceiling. The first thing that happened, 
was when I stopped being angry at pastors, God started using me with pastors. I've literally spoken all over the world. I've spoken at pastors' conferences in Kenya, in Dominican Republic, in India, all over India. The, the, uh, in, our, in our own United States, I got to speak a couple of years ago to our, our entire fellowship, uh, international fellowship, to all of the pastors. Did a pastor's conference in Uganda. Joe and I went there. We did one on spiritual warfare at all the islands over there. Got to speak to pastors in Mexico. Pastors all over, all of a sudden, now that I'm not mad, God's like, now I can make you part of the solution. And not just in the United States. I'll take you anywhere. The, the limits, the ceiling's off. Here's the other thing I've learned about living without a ceiling. So we kind of have a running joke around here about hot tub encounters. Because whenever I get back from a convention or get back from some type of ministry trip, if there was a hot tub, usually there's some story that I have. And so when Jim talked about the hot tub and then uh, I talked about that's where I, I actually kind of, we first, Anthony and I first connected in a hot tub. The people here, all that's just a, a joke around here. I've had people tell me, you should write a book called Hot, hot Tub Encounters. <laughs> now let me tell you the prophetic, the prophetic significance of the hot tub. Stay with me. <laughs> it's called the ease of heaven. It's called, instead of you dialing up for ministry, dial down. When you are at a place of resting your identity in Christ, when you're in a place where you're not trying to influence people. Do you know that people don't want you to try to influence them? Do you know they're very suspicious of, being, of anybody that's trying to get them to do stuff? The people that influence this the most are the ones that aren't trying. <laughs> and why? Because they're not trying. We know they're actually like that. They're not putting this on. They're not trying to get me to do their thing. They just are that way. And that's like, whoa, that affects us. The ease of heaven. We call it, I've started calling it, having a front row seat to what God's doing. That this is what the ministry is. Uh, uh, honestly, we, we were just down in Belize. And I think Joe and Derek and I, we all felt like that Holy Spirit night, it was just like, oh my. God was doing so much and it was so effortless on our part. Derek took some pictures. I'm like, mm, you better not send those pictures. There were just kids slain out, just being rocked by the power of God. I didn't want to scare anybody back home because God was moving on these kids. But the beauty of it was, is it was so effortless. It was just the river, rivers, rivers flowing, rivers flowing. So we had one 
Knight and Bailey, I'm, I worship team, can come on back up. Um, we had one, one night in Belize where I talked about this. Not, not this length. There was like a 15-minute a message. You're like, well, Pastor Tom, couldn't you have said it in 15 minutes this morning? Yeah, probably. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, And here's how we ended. We were, we were in a big circle. And I said, guys, the reason why we have to confess and pray for one another is because the healing, it's just going to take a greater dimension of God's presence. And God made us a community and, and so it's not like you can't get better on things all by yourself, but God increases his anointing when we are vulnerable and interdependent on one another. And, and so, the, I didn't, and I said to them, I said, I didn't write this verse. God wrote this verse. Confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you might be healed. He didn't say it was going to be easy. He just said, this is how you get healed of the things underneath. And I said, so that's how we're going to end tonight. If you've, got, if you've been angry or you've been gripped and living in the, 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 the mouth of fear, it's your time to confess. You cannot imagine the silence. There was no music. There's no band. There's no... There's no altar. We're in a circle. This is all their peers. And then one kid starts saying what's going on. And then another. And we, we gather around them. We pray for them. We prophesy over them. And the tears come. And then as we go on, of course, uh, they're so precious because they, they just are real. Yeah, I've been, I've been controlled by anger. Yeah, my whole life is anger. Here's who I've been angry at. They owned their anger. But then they, they didn't just own their anger. They, they also owned this. I don't want to be angry anymore. I don't want my life to be about anger anymore. And so we prophesied and we prayed for them and God, God desires truth in the innermost part. And so God uprooted something that night. And, and then the next night was the Holy Spirit night because the very place that God takes out anger and fear, the innermost being gets cleansed. Then he wants to give rivers. And so that was the secret to why the next night, the river of God just whoosh, just waiting <laughs> to pour out on these kids because it was clean. It was clean inside. And so, uh, could we all stand together? I'm going to ask the pastors and elders and speakers this week, including Pastor Tom and Pastor Roger, if you guys would come forward and just be our ministry team. Speakers, that includes my daughter Beth, if she's here. Britt is already up here.
No, I'm going to be honest with you. It's going to be way easier for you than those kids because you're not going to have to say anything in front of a whole group. <laughs> you just get to come to one person, one very trustworthy person, and just, all, you don't have to give us any details. You just say, I've been angry. You can, you can give us some detail about what you're angry about or what you've been afraid about. But part of this has to be, I don't want to live this way anymore. I want Jesus to go into my plumbing and take out the stones. I want those two potholes that Ted saw. I want them healed. <laughs> I don't want to be detoured. I don't want, to, I don't want road closed. I, I'm jealous. I'm joining God's jealousy for my own destiny. Would you mind opening your hands and, and just uh, to the Lord? I want to pray for you. Lord, I don't know how I could be a Christian for so long and then also be in the pastor and be carrying around all that anger. I just, I don't know how I managed that, but I did. And then you exposed it. And it was so amazing because the day you exposed it was also the day you removed it. And I don't really know where it went except that I was healed. Maybe I felt like I had to be angry. Maybe I felt like it, was, it would be unjust to live in this world and not be angry because there's so many things that are wrong. But you said that you weren't, you weren't going to trust me if I was angry and that I was only putting a ceiling on my life. And I, I didn't want that anymore. And so, Lord, this is just a safe place. We're in your presence. We want to own. If we've been angry at our husband, angry at our wife, angry at our parents, angry at Donald Trump, angry at the Democrats, angry at... <laughs> it's amazing how many things there are to be angry about. Angry at our boss. Angry, maybe, at our sickness that hasn't gotten better. Angry... Oh, just angry. Maybe we don't even know what we're angry about, just that we're, we've lived with it so long. We're just angry. And then I pray, God, for those that... It's, sometimes it's really hard to see that fear has just become part of our life because we just managed to survive. We just, okay, there's a drip coming out of that. I will rearrange my life around that drip and I'm not going to ask for anything more. And my, my mom was afraid, and my grandma was afraid, and my great-grandma was afraid, and this is just part of who I am. I'm afraid all the time. Lord, that's a lie in Jesus' name. Would you come and set captives free? Fill in our potholes and heal us under the table of intimacy. So what we're going to do is worship. And I'm just going to encourage you, if God has put his finger on something, to step out, come on up, say as little or as much as you want, and just receive prayer. Let's let God heal us. In Jesus' name.